Are you looking for ways to attract and retain private pay clients? Thryzer is a payment platform for therapists built to help clients automatically tap into their out-of-network benefits and save on therapy up front. Check out our special link, join.thryzer.com forward slash modern therapist, and use the code modern therapists to activate $2,500 in free payments with Thryzer. Therapy Notes, the number one trusted EHR among mental health professionals, just keeps getting better and better. With legendary customer support 24 hours a day, seven days a week, they're giving you all the tools you need to succeed, whether you're a solo clinician or a group practice. Try them free for two months using promo code MODERN today. You're listening to the Modern Therapist Survival Guide, where therapists live, breathe, and practice as human beings. To support you as a whole person and a therapist, here are your hosts, Kurt Widhelm and Katie Vernoy. Welcome back, Modern Therapists. This is the Modern Therapist Survival Guide. I'm Kurt Widhelm with Katie Bernoy, and we have a follow-up on a couple of episodes here. Last week's episode on therapist suicide has a lot of you blowing up our social media. A lot of you reached out to us about just the validation of some of the systemic issues about caseloads. Many of you reached out about uh, losing mentors and other people to suicide due to the role that the system really has around a lot of us. And I, I believe some of that is going to be kind of sprinkled throughout today's show. But we are also joined by Michael Blumberg. He's an LCPC from Glenview, Illinois. He has the Glenview Counseling Group. He is also following up on one of our previous episodes about who gets to have therapy and kind of we referenced him in that episode and he listened and he had some more to say. So we, we gave him kind of an opportunity to come in and talk about mental health as a human rights issue. I am so glad to see you again. And I met you in person at the Group Practice Owners Summit in yeah. Chicago earlier this year. And I cannot say enough positive about that. I will stop being effusive about it, but I just wanted to say the talk that you and Maureen did about mental health as a human right just really struck a chord for me. And that's why we did the episode. But I think to me, the, the stuff that you were doing with helping group practice owners to identify how they provide mental health services is just fabulous. So I'm so excited that you're talking with us today and that you listened to the episode and wanted to join us. Uh, so the first question we ask all our guests is, who are you? And what are you putting out into the world? I'm a therapist, just trying to kind of make my way in the world of being a therapist and being a small business owner, as being a group practice owner. And so what I do kind of day in and day out is work within my specialty of obsessive compulsive disorders and OC related disorders, as well as complex anxiety and phobias. So from a therapist standpoint, that's kind of what I do here in my office every day. And then from the other perspective of being a small business owner in America in 2019, I, I answer a lot of phone calls and I, you know, I'm worried about budgets and I do all <laughs> the other things that I'm sure you all do as well. You believe in mental health as a, as a basic human right. And I, I'll kind of take the same stance that I took in our earlier episode of, I'll, I'll argue the other side just for argument's sake. I, I think we sure. line up a lot more, but I think if we're actually going to answer a lot of these questions, then looking at this from a number of different angles helps us to potentially get to a, a more robust and more solid and potentially more practical answer. 
But explain what you mean when you say that mental health should be a basic human right and why you believe that. So my, my understanding and my definition of mental health being a basic human right is basically that every person, regardless of their ability to pay, uh, has the right to be emotionally and psychologically well, and that as a mental health community, that we have some obligation to provide as much as we can while still maintaining a thriving business and having employees who are clinicians be able to support their own families. And so that's, that's my understanding of it. And that's sort of how I approach it from a business standpoint. Where did that thought come from? Because I think a lot of folks for a long time have thought about mental health and mental wellness as almost an extravagance. It seems like it's pretty, I don't even know. I mean, like there's, there's mental health stigma, so people don't want to talk about it. But I also think people don't see it as something that is required something to focus on, certainly not as a, as a basic human right. So how did, how did that become that for you? I decided to be a therapist when I was 14. Parents were getting divorced. They sent me over to a counselor to group therapy where I sat stubbornly with my arms folded and was really annoyed about being there. And then eventually kind of decided to get into it. And then that sort of spurred me into this field. And the people in that group came from a pretty wide array of socioeconomic households. And so, and the place that I went to made that possible for them. And so when I think about what's a human right and what's not a human right, the question then is, how do I tell some person, me personally, how do I walk up to a person and tell them that, that this is an extravagance or that this is something that is extra in life and that emotional psychological wellness is not their innate right as a human being? So I, I couldn't do that. And so if I can't do that, then that's where my, my thought comes from. I think for me, and I think that this might be splitting hairs a little bit, this might be helping yeah. to define things a little bit more. But when I hear human right, I, I think that this is something that people are absolutely entitled to, that they can turn to anybody who is providing this kind of service to expect that this kind of service is provided to them. And I almost see that as in conflict with kind of this private practice model of whether it's a group practice, whether it's being able to offer lower fee. I, I, where I stand is I fully agree that therapy can and should be more affordable. I think that people should have less barriers to access to it. But when we get into talking about human rights, then we also start talking about people who are conscripted to, to provide services. And as a as a mental health professional, that kind of scares me because that almost tends to funnel more of us into kind of a community mental health system, which you know we talked about in last week's episode of giant caseloads of taking out some of that care that therapists provide. And it becomes more of just a massive behemoth of a of an organization that's able to do this. And I know that I'm kind of taking this to a much larger scale sort of No, oh, yeah, but I'm glad you are. <laughs> uh, it's something where, you know, this has been discussed for decades by the World Health Organization, the UN Human Rights Council. Yes, Some of the stuff's been coming out since, you know, the 1940s. So if these large worldwide organizations aren't able to really move things forward, are we just kind of more left on the smaller scale end of this in a position of, yeah, we're going to continue to fight for these access things, but 
it's think globally, act locally, but we also still have to live. Yeah, I agree with you that we have to live and, and we have beyond our patient that we are tasked with caring for as business owners, we also have employees, which we are also tasked with caring for in the work environment and making sure that they can afford to be paid what they should be paid and have uh, the ability to live comfortably. What I don't subscribe to is the idea that because the large machinery of industrial healthcare is running extraordinarily poorly, that there's nothing that I, as a small provider in some little suburb in Illinois, can't do anything about. And so, yeah, and the World Health Organization is right, and and you know all these you know the Human Council is right, but what power do they have on the ground? The three of us we are on the ground. We are the people making it actually happen. And we have the ability to set policy and procedure that balances the scales a little bit. And if we can do that, I think we should. There is a a desire, especially for me, I know, to do this. Like I see this as I grew up in the mental health, the community mental health system, as far as that was my my Mm -hmm. pre-master's work, that was my post-master's work. And to me, looking at providing access, and I'm an individual practice owner, I don't have a group practice. So for me to provide services and access it gets pretty challenging. And I and I recognize once you move into a group practice setting, there can be ways to do it that, that works better. But I think even the group practice owners I work with who talk about hiring pre-licensed associates or looking at either sliding scale or insurance or the different types of things, when we're really looking at how do you get to a place where the margin is sufficient for the work that's done and the, and the, the way that that all plays out, I think most people are just stuck. Like they, you know, and I don't know how to get as creative as I would like to be to say, hey, just do this thing and it works out great. You know, there's, you know, layers upon layers of systemic issues. If you if you take insurance, you know, unless you're really good at negotiating, the, the rates are really low. If you do sliding scale, depending on how low you go, it still is inaccessible for many. And so to me, I think there's just this dearth of ideas about how do we actually balance the scales. And I, I know, you know, in responding to us, you kind of said, I figured it out. So I'm all ears. Like, how are you doing this? Because I think I think about policies and procedures and those things. And I think about, okay, how does this happen? Because, you know, there's a lot of people are really struggling with figuring out how do I provide access? How do I pay myself and or my clinicians well enough and and live the life I want? So lay it on me. I'm ready. Sure. You ready? <laughs> I'm ready. <laughs> You're going to hate the answer. Okay. The answer is that I, I probably make less money than most of my colleagues. If the market were to determine what my value is in uh, dollars and cents, I would be making significantly less than other people who are in my place. And I'm not suggesting that everybody has to do that, but that's the only way that I have found that I can do that. Now, and, and none of us took a vow of poverty as far as I can remember when we were doing our grad work. So, <laughs> and I believe that we should be compensated appropriately for our time. It's not all or nothing. I'm not, and I'm not pretending to live in some socialist utopia over here where everybody gets taken care of. We sometimes are not able to meet the needs of our patients because of uh, finances. That does happen. We try to minimize that to the best of our ability. And when we do that, if we have to say, I'm sorry, we can't do that. We don't have a therapist here who can work with you at that rate. We do everything in our power to set them up with community mental health services that can. So 
The other thing that I do that is probably a little bit different is that I have by far the largest caseload of significant sliding scale fee patients, which is subsidized by lots of the work that my clinicians do. And for the people who pay full fee or have good insurance that covers a good portion of, of therapy. And I'm totally open to the idea that maybe I'm the captain of a sinking ship. It hasn't sunk yet. We're eight <laughs> years in and we keep growing. But, you know, there are, you know, it, this is not to pretend that there's months where things are not tight and it's hard and it's worthwhile to me. Now, money is not the only point of access that stops people. I think it's a very large one. There's stigma, there's location, there's, there's lots of other things that group practice owners can do. And so if a group practice owner is not willing to, let's say, go down to a place where people who are on uh, the lower end of the socioeconomic ladder are able to afford their services, well, okay, nobody says that they have to. This is what works for me and it's worthwhile doing it for me. What they can do is they can offer training. They can hire and train interns to get into this field and have those interns charge less money for their services. They can provide access to people in rural communities, you know, via telehealth. And there's lots of different ways to help, but the idea that the machine is broken and there's nothing I can do about it doesn't sit with me. Thryzer is a payment platform designed for out-of-network therapy. As a therapist, you would use Thryzer to charge clients for sessions and collect your full rate up front. From the client's perspective, Thryzer links to their health plan, so insurance claims are automatically submitted for them upon every charge. From there, Thryzer manages the claims end-to-end so that your clients don't have to worry about manually submitting super bills or getting on calls with insurance. The best part? Thryzer allows clients to only pay their co-insurance portion for sessions, while Thryzer covers the rest of your fee and waits for reimbursement on their behalf. They also offer you an instant benefits calculator for free, allowing you to provide upfront transparency to prospective clients on their out-of-network coverage. Therapists only pay a standard 3% credit card processing fee per session with no additional fees. Visit join.thryzer.com forward slash modern therapist to get started and use our promo code modern therapists to receive $2,500 in waived fees for your sessions. The thing that really struck me what you were talking about is this idea of you were seeing the sliding scale clients while your employees were seeing the full fee clients. And I think that is kind of revolutionary because you're setting this practice up. Well, they see, they see them too. Okay. Okay. So, So I see by far the most, but one of the prerequisites of working here is that you have to have some form of sliding scale fee for your services. Now, because I don't know everything about, let's say, my employee, Joe, right? I don't know if, if Joe's aunt needs a kidney and he's got to pay for that or if private school is too much or if you know his wife lost his job. I don't know any of those things. And so I trust when I hired Joe that Joe knows uh, how much money he needs to make. And then he, mm-hmm. he can make decisions for himself and his family based on that information, which I don't have. And so I'm never going to tell him you're charging too low. And I'm never going to tell them that you're not doing enough, but there has to be some sliding scale to offer services from every single clinician here. One aspect that you're offering is the actual service to people with with mental health. And I, I 
really apply to everybody having some sort of sliding scale policy or or access, you are utilizing the community mental health system when even that's a barrier for people. Yeah. When we get back to talking about this as human rights, though, you know, there's also an aspect of addressing some of these issues, why they're happening in the first place. And when I look again at, at the language of calling this a, a human rights issue, doesn't that also mean that we as therapists should be working to address the reasons why people are having some of these barriers in the first place, that mental health is not just about dealing with people once they're down this road of suicidality, of, of major mental illness issues, but also addressing some of the contributing factors like poverty and homelessness and really working in prevention as well. And I'm wondering how you either are already doing this or foresee smaller businesses, smaller group practices, large group practices, being able to do more than, okay, here's a presentation to five people at a Starbucks about how to do (laughs) self-care. Yeah. So the way that I've chosen to do it is through the way that I just sort of outline. There are people who on the state level do advocacy work and try to get things changed on the state level, local level, and um, you know, on a national level, if people have those skills and they'd like to give their time doing that, I think that's a fantastic way to increase access and to help spread the message or the idea uh, or the belief rather that mental health care is a human right. So I've never been down to the state capitol for hearings, but I know therapists who have and have spoken in front of the state legislature to, for example, um, in Illinois, people with my um, credentials, LCPC, are not allowed to accept Medicare patients, uh, while social workers and psychologists are. And it's something that on, on the state level has been argued over and over and over again, and it keeps getting closer, but we're not there. And so if you say to yourself, listen, uh, I'm going to charge whatever I want, and I'm going to make as much money as I can, you should do that. If you're able then to take skills that you have or time that you have or resources that you have and apply it to advocacy, I think you should do that. I I just think that you can't do nothing. I agree that there is a need for us all to do something. And I, I, I appreciate you saying that people will do it in different ways. I think some therapists have a real need to serve as many clients as they can. And they do kind of what you're talking about with your mm-hmm. practice, which is identify how do I get a, as many clients as I can seen for fees that they can afford and and those types of things. But I think there there is a cost, and Kurt and I both do advocacy work, and there's a cost to making ourselves available for those, those activities. And so mm-hmm. to me, I, I, get, I get pulled because I want to make sure there's access in my community. I want to see as many clients as I can, although then there's times I want to see no clients because I'm burned out. But I think there's, there's also this need to, to have this bigger impact. And I, I, I just, I feel like there's just this tension that happens between access and time or access and my financial stability. And sure. so do you have suggestions for solo practitioners who are grappling with this conflict? Because I think when you scale into a group practice, there's, there, there are ways to do this, but a lot of, I think our listeners are, are individual practitioners mm-hmm. And so some of them might be inspired at this point. They've got to start a group practice. That was my response to what you were talking about. But some of them may be 
thinking, I am a, I'm an individual practitioner. How do I navigate this for myself? Do you have any thoughts? If you're doing what you can, then, then that's it. And again, just like, I mean, I don't mean to be, you know, dismissive about it, but it's sort of like the conversations or at least what I talk to the people who work for me for uh, about, which is that I don't know what your situation is. I don't have any idea if you need to work and save every penny because that's what's going to get you through this life comfortably, then you should do that. And, and there's no judgment. There's no, you know, you should be doing everything. You should be doing everything for all people because that doesn't work either. And so if you're out there and you're listening and you're uh, an individual uh, practice owner, it's just you, and you're just kind of trying to make it through this, uh, through this world and trying to figure out your, your place in the community and making sure that your bills are paid, you should pay your bills. I, <laughs> I, I get it. You know, like it's not, yeah. uh, this is, again, it's not some socialist utopia that I'm talking about. It's what can I do? And I think I had talked about the starfish thrower at the very end of the speech that inspired, I guess, this whole conversation that we're having. And, you know, it's this old anecdote about a man walking down the beach. He sees another man on the shore and the man is going up and down the shore, taking individual starfish and throwing them back into the water. And the guy says to him, Hey, you know, what are you doing? There's a hundred thousand of these things. You'll never be able to make a difference. And the guy takes one, he throws it in and he says, it makes a difference to this one. So the idea is that on a local level and a personal level, individual level, you can make a difference if, if, if you have the, the financial ability to do that. I should also say that I have months where I'm really stressed about money and that, you know, my whole, uh, my whole idea of doing this is really hard. And I think that this is, you know, really the struggle that we all face in this, no matter what level it is, whether it's kind of the individual who's first starting out their practice. Katie and I have been to DC to work on these Medicare bills and meeting with staffers. And there, there's three parts to the, this conversation, no matter where it goes, which is A, access, B, how much it costs, and C, how much are clinicians actually getting paid out of this. And there's kind of a, a very precarious balancing point between all of this that you're Extremely. really referring to. Yes. And you know, I can talk a little bit specifically about these Medicare, LPCC, LMHC type bills that for providing access to people where clinicians already are, the questions that the staffers ask is, well, how much is this going to increase the, the budget? And then when we look at, well, here's what Medicare actually pays for providing these services, that it's not great. And so this does, you know, really come down to, you know, coming back to your, your starfish metaphor here is when the training that we get as therapists tells us, hey, you're all like, go fix all of the starfish, go throw all of them back <laughs> in, you know, and yeah, it might matter to that one, but make it matter a little bit less to that one. So you can go make it matter just a little tiny bit more to like 700 more. And yeah. I, I think that, you know, part of this is really just kind of in philosophically how we look at the way that we attract people into this field and really also being able to be very realistic about you're not going to, you're not going to fix everybody and you're going to have to make a decision about who you get to fix. Yep. And, you know, there's a, there's a moral dilemma there too. Yeah. And I reject the mandate or the suggestion from, you know, our grad school or from our field, this idea that we can fix everybody. 
I, I don't think we can, and I don't think we should try, because I think if you were to try to fix everybody, you would probably end up throwing up your hands and fix nobody. And so whatever it is that you can give while still caring for yourself and for your employees, if you have them, is what I think you should do. And I can't tell you or anybody else how much money you need to make to live the lifestyle that you think is appropriate for you and your family. I don't have any right to do that. But what I can do is help as many people as I possibly can within that framework. Not only does Therapy Notes combine billing, scheduling, notes, secure messaging, group telehealth, and more into one streamlined platform, they're also always adding new features and forms to their library. So no matter your specialty, Therapy Notes has you covered. Learn more at therapynotes.com and use promo code MODERN for two months free. The thing that I like about what you're saying, I like a lot about what you're saying, but the thing that I like the most is, is really this idea that each person has to make that decision for themselves. And it's hard because there's there's a there are a lot of different voices that speak out about kind of the vow of poverty. You you have to do this. This is, you know, you need to provide mm-hmm. access. You can't be this greedy therapist. And then there's the competing voice of you must charge as much as you can and you can make a good living and let's, you know, let's go do this thing. And both of those are are valid for those individuals. And there's a way, and what I'm hearing, and, I, and correct me if I've heard this wrong, but what I'm hearing is for you, the way you've solved that is determined what is the living I need to make? Like, not what I'd like to make, what's the pie in the sky, what I want to make, but what do I need to make so that I can have the lifestyle I want? How do I creatively solve that solution? And, and you know, I think the, the idea of you taking more sliding scale than your staff, than your, than your therapist suggests that you're helping them to make a bit more and to kind of have control over their income in the way That's that you'd exactly like. That's exactly the idea, yeah. And then you're also kind of taking the hit a little bit. I'm assuming there's a percentage or whatever because you're mm-hmm. also getting some of the profit from the top of the group practice. So that yep. supplements your income. And so then you're able to provide more access while still thinking about how do I make sure that I make as much as I need to make and yes. my clinicians make as much as they need to make. And so to me, the, the piece about that that's so creative is that you're not saying, well, I am the, the one that needs to charge the highest. I will hire people for sliding scale and I'll pay them less. It's about how do I make this whole system work without these preconceived notions of what I should do? And to me, that's really exciting. And to me, that's that's something where, okay, I think about this and I think, okay, for myself, how can I make sure that I'm providing access? And I think I've started doing it. So I want to run this past you. But what I've done is in my therapy practice, I, I just really wanna, thought- I, I, I want to point out, I'm not, okay. the, I'm not the access police and I'm not the access <laughs> authority. I'm just a guy trying to do his thing. But yes, I'm listening. Okay. Okay. So I think the the piece that I've done, and I didn't realize I was doing it, but I, I've been feeling it a lot in this last couple of, of weeks in, you know, since the conference, I kind of opened back up and I'm taking new clients and I'm understanding that I'm providing more access and not necessarily more income for myself. But I realized I've layered different businesses for myself so that I can make the income I need while providing mental health access. And so mm-hmm. for me, there's our conference and there's my consulting business and then there's my therapy practice. And I'm, I've, I've got income goals for each one, 
But with my therapy practice, I can look at creatively how I actually do that while also making sure these other forms of income can supplement and I can, I can actually provide a little bit more access in my therapy practice. And so to me, I think it's, I don't have to charge a bazillion dollars to live the life I want. I can, I can actually do some of these things without feeling bad every time someone's like, ah, I can't, I can't afford your fee. Like I can figure out mm-hmm. a way to work with the clients to work with me best. And, and that feels good. So, so what do you think of that, Michael? I know you're I, not the access I, authority, I, but what do you I, think? <laughs> I think you're walking the very precarious line that Kurt had alluded to earlier, which is it's a balancing act. And, mm-hmm. and there's times where you tip to one side and there's times that you tip to the other. And it's, it's, and I don't think it's ever going to be perfect. And I think there's always room to be thoughtful about it. But it sounds to me like you're thinking about it. You're yeah. considering it. It's part of the narrative that you have for yourself as a business owner, and you're going to try to do things, and sometimes they're going to be great, and sometimes they're not going to be great. Oh, and for sure. <laughs> that's, but, but, but being thoughtful about it and actually putting that thought into practice is, to me, the best thing you can possibly do. Totally agree. And I think when Katie and I come back to our our principles around what being a modern therapist is and some of the things that we were really living even before Katie and I really connected, which is why we spend so much of our time focusing on the care of the therapist, that the self-care is being able to charge enough to take care of yourself, of being able to implement good business practices that benefit both therapist and client. And it's not always the most popular things that we push along, but it's also really being involved in advocacy and the greater voice of mental health professionals. And that's really where so much of this is things that Katie alluded to, you know, the number of different ways that she implements this. And I think that that's really kind of what we hope that the goals are for each of us as individual therapists. And while we understand that not everybody can be in a position to go to a capital and meet with legislative staffers, you can call your local field office. You can send an email. Like just because you're not able to afford being able to do big and grand things doesn't necessarily mean that doing the little things at home, just kind of like Michael even started the episode talking about, actually helps us to start to implement this. And while I definitely try to play devil's advocate in a lot of this, I really do encourage that the only way that we're actually going to start implementing this is by us as individuals. We can't wait for these big organizations to set down mandates that we would all just grumble about and kind of some of the talking points that I've used in this episode. But really being able to live this through ourselves and implement this, I'm fully on board with do what you can, be realistic about what you can do. All of us can do something. So do do something. Do something, I think, is the theme of the whole episode today. Yes. And take care of yourself while you're doing it. Our guest today is Michael Blumberg, and where can people find out more about you and all of the wonderful things that you're doing? Well, a couple of places. Glenviewcounseling.com is the um, website for my practice. We had also alluded to another business that I have called Group Practice Builders um, that runs a yearly summit here in Chicago. That's going to be happening in the next July. It's called the Group Practice uh, Owners Summit. And you can find information about that on grouppracticebuilders.com. 
And I should probably say December 1st is when early bird sales end. Last year, we were sold out by March and had a waiting list. Uh, it was pretty significant. So get your tickets now. That's my yeah. capitalistic side coming out. There it is. <laughs> <laughs> and and it, was, it sold out so fast last year. Like that was, yeah, it was we just were, amazing. And we it were was, thrilled. And it was it, like if you're if you're a group practice owner or are thinking about becoming a group practice owner and are kind of ready to make that scale in a serious way, this is this is the conference you have to be at. There's that's where you meet with all the people. That's where you meet with your people. And there's all different types of things: how to build an insurance practice, how to build a private pay practice, you know, all the ins and outs of stuff. I, I just can't say enough positive stuff about it. If you're a group practice owner or want to be one, you got to be Thanks there. Thanks for that, Katie. Thank you. And we'll include links to all of Michael's stuff and to the conference in our show notes. You can find those at mtsgpodcast.com. And speaking of conferences, Therapy Reimagined 2020, I can't believe we're already in, in the mindset of that. We'll set those, set those calendars, write it out there, save the dates, <laughs> September 25th and 26th here in Los Angeles. And we can't wait for you to come out and be modern therapists with us and really find your balancing point within all of this advocacy, providing access and taking care of you. So until next time, I'm Kurt Widhelm with Katie Renoy and Michael Blumberg. Thank you for listening to the Modern Therapist Survival Guide. Learn more about who we are and what we do at mtsgpodcast.com. You can also join us on Facebook and Twitter. And please don't forget to subscribe so you don't miss any of our episodes. Remember to check out Thryzer. They are passionate about making out-of-network therapy work for everyone. Clients save upfront on therapy while therapists earn their full rate. Get started in minutes on join.thryzer.com forward slash modern therapist and use the promo code modern therapists and receive $2,500 in waived fees for your sessions. Thanks so much to our partner, Therapy Notes, the highest rated practice management solution for behavioral health. Don't forget, using promo code MODERN gets you two free months.